God. Amen. So <clears throat> we're still talking about uh, recognizing spiritual timing. Is that what we had? Recognizing spiritual timing. And we did talk about um, that God is not so much concerned about minutes and hours, but his uh, time to him is um, divided into seasons, and seasons are for a certain purpose. So there is purpose always involved in whatever God is doing. He gives us time, not so that he can crack the whip on us for no reason, but he gives us a time, a span of time in which certain things are to be accomplished so that we can get work done. He put man in the garden. He created him really to work because the garden was created and there was no man to tend the garden. So work is a very important purpose for human beings. And it is very important to understand that as believers, work has a different um, place in our lives than it does for the unsaved. When the curse was pronounced on the man, work was made a hard labor for him. That's why Jesus says, come unto me all ye who are heavy laden and burdened and I'll give you rest. And so life here on earth is burdened because of the curse. He, man was also told that he would live from the sweat of his brow instead of by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I believe Adam spoke and, and accomplished a lot with his faith and with his words. And so his hands would act out and carry out what needed to be done that his words couldn't do. When the curse came, our words had less and less impact and less and less influence because of the curse. And then when redemption comes, God introduces us to faith and his word so we can accomplish his will with our faith, but not our own. I think it's very important to understand the difference there. You can get so much more accomplished by partnering with God than you ever could get done trying to do your own thing. And so as we are faithful, obeying God's word, meditating on God's word and speaking God's word in faith, then God begins to put more power on our words. If we're trustworthy with our words and if we are faithful people, he will begin to put more power on our words to the degree that he says that if we are if we pay our vows that means if you say if you do what you say you make if you make a commitment follow through on it that's what he means because that's imitating him god doesn't tell you anything that he's going to do that he does not accomplish so that's a personal integrity that he's trying to get us to understand is the cornerstone of having powerful words and faith on your words and words that will accomplish a great deal. But your words have to be his words. You can't just say anything and expect it to come to pass. So God does have a test of diligence and faithfulness that we must pass in order for us to be people who he says you can decree a thing and it will be so. So you have to, you know, be accomplished in this. You've got to practice some. 
can I can I keep my word? Can I if I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them? Can I remember to pray for them? If I tell somebody I'm going to meet them, and I say if they give me a job at church, can I tell them I will be there faithfully? You know, without making excuses and without trying to to pass the buck and say I couldn't because you know that's that doesn't work with God. That's why sometimes our words are very weak. See? Now many times you don't know the weakness of your word because we pray in agreement here. You don't know who's pulling all the weight, do you? But you know people soon find out when they step out of agreement with spirit-filled people, like they go someplace else and they'll realize. Well, you know, things really did go easier for me when I was obeying the word. Is <laughs> really what it is. And so we have to understand that he is building a personal integrity in all of us so that he can empower our words in a greater fashion. You want your words to pull weight in the spirit. You don't want the devil to ignore your words. Because there's little or no power behind him. You want when he you tell him to do something, he obeys it. Because you're not careless with your words. You have to make sure that your words are discreet. You know what I mean when I say discreet? Little bitty packages that have big power when they're not big, elaborate, drawn out. The more wind you put in things, the fluffier it is. <laughs> you know, they fly away. So you have to make sure that you say what you mean and mean what you say. God said, let there be fill in the blank, and it happened. He didn't say, well, I think what I want to do. Well, you know, you tell me if this is okay with you or not. And I've checked it out with many sources. And That's what I mean, discreet. Just get to the point, spit it out, and let's see if you got the goods. Pretty much. You got me? And so you can be very discreet in your words. Your words need to be edifying words. They build up and not tear down. They encourage and not discourage. So these are the ways that God speaks. And if we imitate God in speaking as he speaks, because we believe it in our hearts, then we can begin to have more power on our words. We can decree a thing and it will happen. That's how you can keep your your house running supernaturally by the power of your words. You know, you decree things because you're a trustworthy person with your words. You speak the word all the time. You believe the word all the time. Not just when you're around the saints. You believe it all the time. You speak it all the time. So, so in keeping with the the purpose of seasons, words that we speak are very important. Much of what we accomplish, we accomplish with our words. And then our our physical man merely carries out what the word has already established. So you begin to work within the framework of your own words, like God did. So then your world begins to get framed by your own words. Everything in your life, your mouth put it there. Everything that's missing, you never talked about it. So it didn't get there. 
So you got to recognize that. So God has, has created us to be this way, that we live <clears throat> by the word and our worlds are framed by our own words. Seasons then are divided into time. And each season has an amount of earth time assigned to it. When that time is up, that time is up. We said that the prophets have a peculiar anointing for uh, being sensitive to time and what should be done in this time that we're in. You know, like prophets, you know, to you it looks like a good time to sow tomatoes and they see it snowing outside. Why are you doing this now? This isn't time for this. Let's go do something else. Whatever, you know, it just, it's that clear to them. That timing's off in certain things. So time is very important. We said imitating the Father is very important. He works and we are to work too. And he works all the time. He expects us to work all the time. No, you don't need time for you. Everything that's for you is already in God. That's just an excuse for self-indulgence. See, the Bible says cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You don't have to take something for yourself. People say, well, take a break, take a break. You don't have to take anything. God has already planned your break. He's planned your vacation. He's planned your rest. He's planned all of that. So you don't have to be this little self-sacrificing person and you just work so hard and you just have to make some time for yourself. I don't know anybody who's working that hard, to be honest with you. Everybody seems to have more than enough goof-off time. And to me, I'd rather be doing something for God any day. You got me? I know that when I lay it down at night, it's gone. And it don't get up till in the morning. And that's plenty for me. But I, I want to work while it's while it's day. You know what I'm saying? While, while God is with me to do these things, I want to get these things done. You got me? Because that's what I live for. I live to serve God. And you should too. You know, what else are you living for? You know, to grow old and, you know, run your wheelchair down the hall at the <laughs> at the old people place or whatever. <laughs> Give me that bowling ball. I think I think we could put some pins up at the end of this place. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. You're trying to create some happiness for yourself. You know, I think that's so sad. You know, people live to retire. When they retire, they're bored, they're depressed. You know, they want to go to Florida, you know, and everybody down there is bored and depressed. And, you know, I mean, come on now. There's more to life (laughs) than what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and how you're going to fit in with the flow of the world's nonsense. I like preachers who preach till they're 80 and 90. Brother Shambach went home to be with the Lord, and he was, I know if he was able to get up, he was preaching. If he was able to speak, he was preaching. When they're not able to get around so much, then people come to them, but they still preach. You got me. They're still living out of their spirit, which is very, very important. So, 
So uh, what we'll talk about, start talking about now is um, uh, we talked about different phases of time. You know, when you get an assignment or you get a vision from God or you get uh, a mandate from God or a call of God, plan of God for your life, <clears throat> there are certain things that must be 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 accomplished at certain times. So we said once you found out your purpose, then there's a season of preparation and training, a season of work, and season of fruitfulness where the purpose is walked out. And then these things repeat themselves. More preparation and training, more working, and more producing fruit. Now, it, it, I can just tell you in in my life, once I realized that I was called to preach, I had to find out how God was going to train me. And I find, found out <clears throat> that if you, oftentimes if you want to depend on man for your training, he won't let you do it. If you think you don't need people, he'll put you under somebody. You got me? And so it's it kind of works the opposite of what your carnal mind tells you or expects what would happen. And then there's always a mixing of the two. And so in my life, God had me. I thought I would have to tell my husband I had to move and go to Bible school. And, and God told me just, you know, take the correspondence course. You got me? <laughs> it's real simple. And so I was looking for a big, hairy deal because... I had heard people give their testimonies, you know, well, God called me to go so-and-so and such-and-such, and and we had to move, and it was, I said, oh, boy, how am I going to do that? He said, you're not going anywhere. So I said, oh, okay. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's, it's oftentimes something you would not plan for yourself is how it goes. And I think God does that to break us out of natural mindset. You know, because if, if everything you're familiar with isn't working anymore, then you got to depend on God. you got to check with him at every juncture so that you make sure that you're in the will of God. So these seasons tend to repeat themselves in my life. There's preparation and training. And that really goes on continually. Also, there's work. And that work goes on continually while there's more preparation and training while you're working and <clears throat> publishing the word preaching it doing the meetings twice a week conferences writing books making sure the videos get taped and sent to the the uh, TV stations all of those things that have to do with publishing the word making sure that what God has given you gets released to humanity. So you want to be a blessing uh, to people so you make sure that what God has given you. And so that is your purpose, to publish the word and to get the people fed and all that kind of stuff and gather the people together so they can hear the word of God. <clears throat> so we need to recognize we don't have unlimited time to accomplish these purposes. You can't say, God, call me, and you don't have anything. It's, it, to me, it's just second nature to, to ask somebody, well, what are you doing about it? Now, people get offended when you ask them because 
Now they want to blast to you what they're called to do, but they don't want you to find out any more about it. Then, so you know, it's kind of the announcement excitement that they try to live in on a continual basis instead of living in the purpose. You know, every day. It's like you know when when people are getting married. You know, there a lot of hoopla goes into it. You know, the dress and the veil and the this and the that and the tuxedos and the boutonnieres and the flowers and the church and the, the you know and the reception and the cake and da 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 da. And then a month later, they sit there and look at each other, <laughs> and they find out marriage is a condition that you live in from day to day. It's not the announcement only. We've announced, we've done, now we live. So I just wish they would prepare themselves to focus on the living part a little bit more. Go easier and not live in the ceremony and the, you know, the big to-do about it. No, so, but but uh, you know these these things are important to understand that there is something beyond just the announcement of the call or the announcement of your office or the announcement of your purpose or what God has called you to do. There's a living it out every day. That's the most important part. It's doesn't care. It's not so important what you what God calls you. What's important is what you produce for him. What did you produce while you were here? So our harvest is what our purpose produces. When God puts gifts inside of you, those gifts are to produce according to your purpose. So if you have a teaching gift, that gift is to produce understanding for certain realm of knowledge while you're here on earth you may be called to teach the word of God you may be called to teach in the natural natural things you may be called to teach both you know sometimes people who teach the word are excellent teachers of other topics you know kind of related to that and so it's good to know though that if you walk in your purpose and you train yourself you you value learning and training. And you won't get very far if you don't value learning and training. Or if you're afraid of learning and training. You know, scared you can't do it. Scared you can't pass a test. You know, your brain freezes up when you see a piece of paper with dots on it. You know, that kind of stuff. All I can say to you is you at least can get 25% of them right. You know, if you, you, know, if you do B all the time, you know, <laughs> oh, I got 25 so You might get more than that. You know, so I had a girlfriend that um, graduated from UC Berkeley with a, uh, she was a math major. She did it in two years. She was a, she and I used to compete as a, who was the smartest person in the world, in the room. You always need a friend like it's rare that you find somebody uh you know like that because you just don't run into people <clears throat> like that too often, but we would always try to be the smartest person in the room and all that kind of stuff but anyway uh she she would get like uh, we took our nursing boards, you know I just wanted five hundred so i if I moved to California, I'd have to take the test over again you know it's I'm very practical in those I don't have anything to prove to that machine. 
You know, you get RN behind your name, it looks the same as everybody else's. They don't pay you more because you got more points, you know. But she always had to outdo the machine. So she would try and figure out some kind of formula that she knew that the machines used. So she had something like 800-something points out of 1,000. She said, yeah, I just sat there and I looked. I said, hmm, this pattern looks familiar. (laughs) And she's taking care of people. Can you believe it? But anyway. (laughs) But... But uh, that was her gift. That's her contribution to the world is outsmarting machine score tests and stuff. But she wasn't nervous when she saw all those little marks on the paper. She just said, ooh. <laughs> so there are a lot of different ways that you can get your confidence. But our greatest confidence is God. He'll prepare you. He'll train you. And he'll be able to help you to accomplish, you know, because you have the mind of Christ. He created everything. So his brain is not short on answers for you. But you have to study and be diligent yourself. you got to put the knowledge in. But the Holy Spirit says, see, the Holy Spirit helps you to override nervousness and dumb stuff that would steal that knowledge from you in the testing arena. So that's where you need him. He's not your cheat buddy where, you know, you don't study at all and he'll tell you all the answers supernaturally. You wouldn't have the faith to put him down anyway. You'd still be a doubter. So it's best if you can get that knowledge and then he'll help you bring it to your remembrance by keeping you peaceful and calming you down. And oftentimes you can get a word of knowledge from God to help you to get the answers in the right order and so forth and so on. Because you're going to depend on him to do the job anyway. Yeah, You understand what I'm saying? You, That's how you do a superior job. It's not on what you were born with. Good grief. That that starts to, them brain cells start to die out the minute you start hitting earth pretty much. So you can't depend on natural abilities 100%. So... When you are in preparation and training, we said there are key people and relationships that must be established and treasured in order that you fulfill the purpose in the time that God gives you. In a normal academic setting, you have four years to complete a bachelor's degree. Amen. I mean, hello, who am I talking to? Jehovah Witnesses? (laughs) Even they know it takes that long. But that's the general amount of time. And within that period of time, you have to have certain purpose accomplished, certain numbers of credits, certain in your major, in order for them to confer a bachelor's degree on you. So so those, we all understand that, and it's the same way with God. He gives you a certain season or allotment of time in which to accomplish a purpose. I went to school with a girl that you could walk up to her any day and she would tell you exactly how many days, minutes, hours we had until graduation. She's prided herself in doing that, you know. I hate this place. I'll be glad when I get out of this place. How much time we got, Judy? We have I've only got to so she was she knew her purpose is get it and get out get out <laughs> so <laughs> and she got out on time trust me 
is chomping at the bit. So, But it's good to know that you have a certain amount of time in which to accomplish your purpose. Completing things late is always a sign of fear. You know, just you're reluctant to commit, you're reluctant to do everything. There's a reluctance there, and hesitation generally means fear. There's fear involved somewhere. But God helps us to alleviate fears and overcome fears so that we can just go forth and accomplish you know, we'll go forth and build and, and accomplish our purpose in those things. When God puts key people and key relationships in your life, the first thing you need to do is find out if that person can help you get where you need to go in God. Are they a person that has something of value? That that relationship will contribute to your life. And the flip side of that, and this is always true, and don't anybody get the impression that people are there just for you to serve you only. You have to find out what is the reciprocal. How do you reciprocate in the relationship to establish it? Because if you don't understand your part and what your contribution is to the relationship, it won't last long. So sometimes we can look at ourselves as being so needy, we don't think there's an obligation on our part for something. But that's what a relationship is. It's always two ways. That relationship must benefit that person who is sowing into your life. So say a person understands more about the word than you do. Then you reciprocate by in some way blessing that person's life and God will show you what that is. There are many times, say for instance, that you have a friend that... um, you understand the word better and they're struggling a little bit and they you know you might bless them with your knowledge of the word and so forth and so on and then suddenly they want to buy you something you got me well receive it because God apparently has told them that this is their part to reciprocate in the relationship or they want to give you something that they you know don't have any use for anymore or something like that that fits into your life in some kind of way it might be a piece of furniture and what would be clothing it might be anything like that but you can see that there is a relationship there being built and when you see those building blocks it's good to hold on to the relationship don't let it go It must work both ways. When uh, Lester Summerall was was new in the ministry, he said he would preach, but he knew his sermons were horrible. And he said, but people got saved anyway. So that was, he mostly was, but he wasn't the great teacher that, you know, we see in the books that he's written and his TV programs and all the uh, syllabi that he's he's done for for his uh, teachings and so forth. You can pick them up and you can almost write a book from them yourself or preach from them. They're so complete. And so he wasn't methodical in, in, in understanding like that until he met Howard Carter. 
and he met Brother Carter. He was maybe in his 40s, close to 50s. And God told him this. He said, I've answered your prayer. This great man is going to teach you the word. And and when he is an old man, you will meet him. And uh, you will be a younger man. He will lean on you for your strength. And he will bless you with his knowledge and his ability and his teaching. And that's exactly what happened. Brother Summerall understood what his role was. He understood he wasn't to be a burden to that man. He understood that he was to make his life easier for him so that they could both get where God wanted them to go. So it's always two-way, folks. There's no free ride in God's kingdom. And you must understand what your role is. And you must determine that you are going to be a blessing to that person. Or God will disconnect you from the relationship. It might be that the relation, they'll still know you, but it'll change. Because when you start being a drag on people, <clears throat> see, God doesn't let anybody get taken advantage of. So that's good for people who are always concerned about that. Some of us are more concerned than others. You know what I mean. Some people just carry that. Always looking to see, make sure they're not doing more than the next person. So, and, And then you will learn how to be a good partner in life. You got me? You'll learn how to partner up with people. So part of Brother Summerall's training, when he when he got to a certain place, he met his wife. As she was an accomplished pianist and and, um, and working in the ministry already, and uh, some people wanted them to know each other. See, all these things are planned by God. I mean, if you get one good idea from God and follow through on it and build on it and build on it, you'll find your whole life's laid out for you. He met her in some remote island somewhere. You know, working with, I think it was her father she was working for. Maybe her dad was a pastor or something. But she played the piano and people were just dying for them to meet one another. And they met and and, and not long after were married and stayed married till they both died. You got me? And so these things we know come from being on time with God functioning the way he wants you to function. Relationship is very important. Lester Summerall was a very rough kind of a character. He made fun of preachers when he lived at home. He and his dad, his dad wasn't saved, but the mother was. She would she would always be the lady that wanted the ministers. In the, at her church, she volunteered to have the ministers stay at her house. And she would put them up. And, and I guess Brother Summerall and his dad didn't like it because they kind of got pushed out of the way for these people. And they made fun of him and everything. And Brother Summerall was dying. And God showed him a Bible or a coffin. That night he chose the Bible. And he set out and went preaching and never went back home again. You got me? And so these things are real when God reveals your purpose to you. But he came from that kind of rough upbringing. So he needed some refinement. And so God had him work with Brother Carter, who was a very refined and dignified Englishman. So if you could ever find two mismatches, that was that. But if you know, if you have a word from God and you know what your function is in the relationship, and you know what that other person's function is, all you have to do is keep up with your end of it. 
and and brother summerall knew that he was to serve this man of god to bless him to help him and in turn brother carter would make sure that he was taught with no pay you got me nobody brother carter told him when they first met he said well this is the way this works you know brother summerall said well i prayed and god told me that i'm you're to teach me and and i i don't know what to do and so brother carter said well my i'm next i'm going to be in wherever he took a boat to get there and he said this is the way this works he said we don't talk about money you talk to god about your money i talk to god about mine and i'll meet you there and so that's the way they live they both live by faith they weren't trying to mooch off each other they nobody was trying to take care of anybody and the other one take advantage it just he just laid it out real plain when he first met him and he knew that if this man really was sent by god god would get him to where he needed to be and if he was worth investing anything in he would have the faith to get there so you got to put it like that yes many times we cripple people by not requiring at least the minimum out of them see the minimum is god your father you talk to him about your needs i'll talk to him about my needs and we don't have to talk to each other about anything except god (laughs) and so now many people think that's a little cruel or something you know but you cripple people if you don't encourage them to stand up on their own two feet and learn how to get what they need from god for themselves you know you you just can't do that to people and so that's the way the relationship went so you must understand how the relationship is to work number one you hold that person in higher esteem than you do yourself now what do i mean when i say that well, if you come into a room, you ask them, how are you doing today? You know, that's esteeming them. You tell me. I don't need to tell you all my problems that I've been going through all week the minute I see you. How are you doing? See, that's holding that person in high esteem. If they come to your home, you seek to make them comfortable. You got me? Uh, make sure it, it doesn't look like they barged in on you and there being an inconvenience to you make sure that you have a place for them to put their coat or you have a place for them to sit and you have a place for them all of these things are steaming the other person more highly than yourself you got me be a person given to hospitality make sure people feel welcome comfortable taking care of everything you got me and so if if you'll focus on just doing those simple things those are very simple things to do then you'll you're on the right road in holding esteeming that person more highly than yourself you don't want to have to compete with that person for anything you know make sure that you understand god has enough for everybody and there's enough to go around for everybody and you you be one given to want to make sure that if if somebody's short you're the one who's short you know but if you trust god no but there's always going to be abundance when god's involved in something and so these are the things that that you do and you do it without grumbling you do it as unto the lord god's watching he gives the reward you know and so when you esteem that person very highly you get your reward from God. That's how you walk in love. You want to make sure that person's not inconvenienced by something you do. You don't keep that person waiting for no reason. 
you don't do what you want to do first and, and have that person sitting waiting for you and all this kind of nonsense. You know, sitting there talking on the cell phone and, you know, got somebody held up because you just want to chat or something. You learn how to esteem the other person. You know, don't don't think you have to get your own way all the time, that kind of stuff. That's not love. So in a relationship, you know, if it's going to be a God relationship, these these things have to be respected. You know, they must be respected. People's time, people's comfort. Uh, you know, you esteem ministers, you esteem highly because of the work's sake. You know, you want to make sure that they they have time to hear from God. They have time to spend time with God. They They are comfortable while they're doing it. You know, the Shunammite woman was a heathen. She built a house for the man of God to make sure the man of God was comfortable. He wasn't even, she didn't even, wasn't even interested in his God at first. And so we have to recognize these things are important, folks. You know, when they come to the house of God, they don't get, you know, abusive treatment or neglect or something like that. They get high esteem. So, you know, keep those things in mind. Those relationships are very important. In a marriage, you esteem your spouse more highly than yourself. You know, it's, you know, these one-sided relationships, you wear people out. You got me? Sometimes <clears throat> women like to lord it all over men because there's, you know, that spirit is in the world now. It's very, very dominant now in the world. So if you're a Christian woman and you are, are treating your husband and with respect as the head of the house, then you're gonna have a, a lot to fight. You have to have fight the world, you're gonna have to fight your own mind, you're gonna have to fight the devil, telling well, I wouldn't do that. You spoiling him, you know. You hear all that kind of nonsense. Well I tell him in a minute, honey, he mind to spoil. He ain't yours. You go treat your man oh you don't have one? Wonder why. Hello, next. <laughs> he left running for his life. So don't school me on how to treat somebody. I get my orders from God. You got it? Hello. Life is too short to diddle around with them little stupid games. You know, I see sometimes women want to make sure the husband's always fetching for them instead of, you know, whoever's up, go get me some water. You up, get me some. Bring me something back when you come back and so forth and so on. You know, when you're in a relationship like that, it has to be where it will last. And it won't last if you're trying to lord it all over somebody, you know, because you think they owe it to you for some reason. You know, stupid. You know, you wear people out. You get on their nerves and they can't tell you. You know, because you're a Christian, you got to come to church and worship God together. They can't tell you, I'm sick of you. You understand what I'm saying? But they need to. huh? And so these things are important to understand how to, when it says esteem that and value that person highly, this is what it means. When you value a person highly, they're not your property. You don't try to use them for what you want personally. You don't manipulate them. You're honest with them. You don't have any hidden agenda when you do something. And it's in families it's important to recognize what builds people. All the members of the house should be built up 
inside so that they feel secure, they feel loved, and they feel valuable. That's what you want to do. You want value to be, they need to know that they are valuable people. So if you put aside yourself, what you think you want from that person, you'll get everything you need. You may not get it from them, but you'll get it. Because they're not your source. God is. I remember I went out to my car one time. My battery was dead. And I told my husband, he said, you better call AAA. I said, I want you to do it. I ain't doing it. That's what I paid him for. (laughs) You got me? So he was not my source. And I knew better. He'd never been my source for that. I tell people, I say, you know, he raised me to take care of myself. <laughs> you got me? And so that's that's what you have to you have to do. You know, you have to understand what the purpose is for that person in your relationship. You know, he just wasn't the one. Trust me. <laughs> when I was in, uh, I took a, a you know manicure manicure course many years ago with my hair course and um, I used to manicure his nails and he said oh that looks good he said I think I will never work and get dirt under these bad boys <laughs> he never did and didn't before then right he didn't want he didn't want nothing to get his nails dirty so you know how Mr. Williams was so what can I tell you very high maintenance for a man very high maintenance but he got everything taken care of. See, many times it doesn't matter who does it, just you you take care of that. You know, you're responsible to make sure it gets done. And so, <clears throat> and some people are like that. Some people are organizers. That's their gift. And they're bosses. You know, even some of them who never make it to boss, they got boss in them anyway. We all have a little bit of that. But some people have their lives organized so that this is taken care of, that's care, and I don't have to do none of it, you know, but it's taken care of. So you need to know the people who will influence and mentor you in your call. Husbands and wives always influence and mentor one another. Always. Now, other than your spouse, people who will influence you and mentor you in your life there may be consistent mentoring like a pastor or it may be intermittent like somebody that you'll go to you'll read their books or maybe listen to their tapes go to their conferences that's intermittent mentoring it may be long term or short term Sometimes that person will influence your life for that time when you need their input. And after a season you won't need it anymore. It's always interesting because sometimes you get used to people and you try to keep that relationship going. It just doesn't work anymore. You know what I'm saying? So you just have to let it go. Some of them may be close relationships as in a pastor, hopefully. The other ones will be long distance. And also mentors can either be alive or they can be deceased. 
and you get mentoring through their writings <clears throat> and through their teachings that are kept on record. So, how do times, how are times and seasons set? How are these things set? Well, Daniel 2 2 gives us an answer to that. If you'll turn there. 2.21, I'm sorry. Not 2.2. And verse 20. It, it, the backdrop of this is the king of Babylon has had a dream. And not only does he have, doesn't he have the interpretation, he doesn't even remember what the dream was. So he has sought out all of the wise guys in the kingdom, the, you know, the visionaries and the fortune tellers and the soothsayers, all of those people. He kept them close to him as advisors and counselors. And he sought one who could interpret, give him the dream and interpret it. He couldn't find any. And word came to Daniel, and they really the king had decided he was going to kill all of them because they weren't any good to him. And so he came to Daniel, it came, the word came to Daniel, and Daniel went to the guy who was getting ready to kill everybody, and he told him not to. He said, because God has told me the answer. Verse 19, then was a secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Problem with the other guys is they were depending on their own. Always go come up short. Verse 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. So if there is any kind of doubt about what season you're in, what you ought to be doing, any question about it, any you need an update, you need a you know, refresher, you go to God because they are in his hands. He changes them after the counsel of his own will. That's how many times when, when we are not on time with a task that God's given us, the Holy Spirit will alert us. You better get this done. You better get cracking. He'll remind us this needs to be done because we're not going to labor with this much longer. And so he says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets them up. Even bad ones, you better believe it. The Bible says he created the waster to destroy. So there is a purpose for the good and the bad here in the earth. If you've sown bad, you'll get bad. If people want a wicked king over him, he'll let you have one. Uh, just to show you, you, you can get what you want. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Hum, wisdom to the wise. Oh, yeah, he ain't going to give it to a fool. It would do no good, would it not? Huh? Absolutely. So once he has opened the door in your heart for a certain gift, if you use that, he'll give you more. Law of use. If you refuse wisdom, the fool is one who refuses wisdom. It comes to him all the time, but he refuses it. So he won't get more because he's not operating in the little bit that's open to him now. So he gives more to those who use it. 
He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So God is the one who changes times and seasons. A season will change on you and you'll run out of time and not have accomplished anything in that season. I see that a lot with Christians. They won't sit and get teaching. They won't go somewhere and get taught. They think they got it all because they've been called. And a lot of the calls are fictitious anyway. They just make up a lot of that stuff. They want to be called because so-and-so they know is called and they're no smarter than I am. So I must be called too. Pretty much the way some of that stuff works. Because there's no fruit to show that they're walking in the purpose of God. Even after many years, there's no fruit. And so we have to understand that God has us all on a time schedule and a purpose. And we have to we have to function in that and we can't hide from it and go do something else. Because he'll find us wherever we are. There is an aspect of time that speaks to what I call appropriateness. Like there are appropriate actions that need to be taken. And and very often we refer to that in, in the term time. We use the word time for that. Where did I see that? In 2 Kings, if you'll turn to that 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4. The story about Gehazi. And the uh, and Naaman, remember Naaman. I'm sorry, Second Kings. I don't think it's four. No, it's got to be in five. Is it five twenty six? I think it is. Yeah, it's five. So, so you know the story. Um, uh, Eli, Naaman, uh, Elijah cured Naaman's leprosy. And his servant, Gehazi. Now, servant really means junior prophet. That person, Gehazi, would have been a prophet because if you're that close to the man of God and you receive that anointing, that place was really kept for someone who was in training. You served in order to receive that anointing. The word servant really, really speaks more of positioning. That you're learning rather than being the teacher. You got me? That's all that refers to. And the way they learned was through serving. The prophet would tell you, go look, see. And if you obeyed him, God would open your eyes and you would see what the prophet saw. Or the prophet would tell you, go run and speak and tell somebody this message. And if you obeyed it, the anointing would come on that message. And if you obeyed him, you came right back and you passed the test. One of the biggest tests for prophets and people in training as prophets is can you obey to the letter? And please don't add anything. Don't take it away. Don't say it to sound nicer. 
That's where people goof up. You know, people who hear prophets' words always think they don't sound right. And they think they have to fix them up to sound pleasant. But if you will speak exactly what they tell you to speak, you'll have obedience on your side. And then God will give you more to do for him. You're speaking for God. You're not speaking out of your soul and for your own purposes. You know, so part of serving means to lose yourself. You know, serving takes care of the pride issue. It takes care of the self-service issue. It takes care of all of that because you you have to humble yourself and do exactly what you're told, no more, no less, and do it on time. So you can't take something the prophet gives you and sit it in a corner and when you get around, you won't, you'll never get there. You'll never get to. You've missed the whole point of serving. Now you're in training so that you can. See, God doesn't tell you to do stuff and go sit in the corner and wait till you get ready to do it. You got me? Just. So you're doing it as unto the Lord. So why would it be different if one of his servants told you to do it? But it is to most people. They, you know, you ask them, did you do so-and-so yet? Well, I was getting ready to do it. Well, you should have done it already. I told you three days ago. You got me? So this is this is the problem. Because, and then people want to prophesy. They want to have power. They want You don't want it bad enough to do what you're told to do. Because God's never told me to do anything where he'd wait forever for me to do it. I'm a servant. I'm not God. I work for him. He doesn't work for me. So these are things we have to understand. You know, if you want power with God, this is the price that you pay for it is doing what you're told to do. See, people think it means going going to Tulsa and going to school and fasting. And you don't have to do none of that. Just be obedient to God. You know, do what he tells you to do. So here, Gehazi, I guess Naaman offers them money camels and goods and all that kind of stuff and the prophet refuses God tells the prophet to refuse and he refuses see this is where we get goofy sometimes we don't believe God is telling that person to do anything so we want to challenge everything and rethink it and well, I wouldn't do that and you know, I know how to do this better than she does, and you may, but you didn't hear from God on it. I did. So we're we're here trying to obey God. We're not having a contest about who knows the most about anything. So you know, you put your put the self down, put the challenge down, put your, you know, always trying to be the best, and you know, rest yourself. You know, you can't you take a day off from that sometimes. So here Gehazi sees all that stuff, and so this is a problem. See, the things that you have problems with, God will expose. You got it? So that you can get them out of the way. They are things that are not useful to him if he's going to use you in the ministry. And everybody's got some. Uh, We're always working on some. And so Gehazi's is the money thing. And so he gets that money and goods in his eyes and he can't get that, shake that out of his brain. So, let me see. Verse 21. 
Second Kings 5.21, Gehazi followed after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. He said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come from me to Mount Ephraim two young, blah, 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 blah. In other words, the prophet was telling you the truth a few minutes ago. We really didn't need the stuff a few minutes ago. But <laughs> company's coming, and God didn't provide for them. You got me? See, nothing that goes on should take a servant of God by surprise. If you're being obedient, you have ample and more than enough for every need that comes up. So that's nothing but a lie. There's nothing that came up that he didn't know about and God hadn't provided for without Naaman's stuff. Naaman says, be content, take two talents. And he urged him, bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of clothing laid upon this earth, blah, 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 blah. Now, listen, if God didn't want anything taken from that man, it should not have been taken. There are some people who should not be giving into the offering of God at certain times. Because God knows their heart, he knows their mind. You don't know if Naaman might go off and say, I bought a, a healing from this man of God. When you go to him, you better have some money because you don't know. So you need to be obedient to God. Extremely obedient. Verse 24, and we came to the tower. He took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where are you coming from? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. I've been here all along. You see me? (laughs) And he said to him, did not my heart go with you? And some translations it said, did not my spirit go with you? In other words, the spirit of God that I have that tells me what to do follows you too. He knows everything you do. And since I'm the boss and I got to protect God's reputation, he told me about you. Huh? <laughs> and he says, <clears throat> when the man turned again from his chariot to meet you, he said, is it time to receive money and garments, olive yards, vineyards, sheep, oxen, men servants, maidservants? Is it time to receive all of that? Now, what did Gehazi get out of that list? Huh? He didn't get all of that stuff. But in his heart, he coveted all of that because the servant of God could read what he wanted in there. See? <laughs> so all he, I didn't get all that. No, but you want it. Huh? You want my spot. You got me? You anxious to be the boss here. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. So this is the thing that you have to understand. When God is preparing you for service, it's no joke. He ain't playing. You got to toe the line. And you got to forget about you. You are the last person on the list. You hear me? 
Now I went through this with God when I was just starting. Well, God, I, I, you know, I said, this, I'll take care of you. You do what I tell you to do. Well, it's like your kids when they come in. Well, I've been working all day and Johnny been sitting down. Don't worry about Johnny. I'll take care of Johnny. You just do what I told you to do. So you got to take care of that eye servant. You got to take care of that self-serving thing. You got to get all that stuff whacked out. And God showed me that that scripture: "Cast your cares upon me, because I care for you." He said, "I will take care of you. I know what you need before you need it. I've already prepared and provided for it. For it, and you got to trust me and quit asking me about it all the time." Don't ask me about that no more because I've taken care of it. And certainly don't go out on your own trying to get it for yourself. Uh, don't go go trying to grab it yourself, getting the grab thing. Uh, you either trust God or you don't. Uh, so anyway, there's a season of appropriateness. There are certain things that are appropriate to do certain times with certain individuals disrespect of elders ministers that's never appropriate never appropriate to disrespect someone who's anointed of God and that includes believers you have to respect one another too now there are ways to get God to change seasons one way is through petition. You can ask God, is there any way I can shorten this period of time that you have me in? We can hasten a season by accomplishing the purpose in that season. Oftentimes God is developing certain character, you know, godly character in us. The Bible says that. You know, we have promises so that we can be partakers of his divine nature. So he's developing his character in us. But not many people want to volunteer for fast stripping. Most everybody wants to hang on to their habit as long as they can. Oh God, don't take that away from me. I'll feel like nothing. Uh-huh. And so that's that's how a season is hastened though. Is it going to be accomplished in kind of a radical fashion, but you may not be as pleased with how that happens as if you just went the route he's taking you. So learn how to be content in a season. Learn how to understand that there are appropriate things to be doing in a certain season. You know, sometimes you, you have to tell people, you know, this you've got children to raise. This is not time for you to date. Most people date before they have children. So if you've got them already, you've got to get them raised. You can't date and you got me. Oftentimes that really does not work. Now, I know it's a lot of churches that pride themselves on their, well, we have a lot of people coming single. We have blended families. Listen, that's a toughie right there. That's tough. It might be easier because the spouse with the children is always suspicious that the one they married doesn't love those kids the way you got me. It might be good to just have a good, peaceful relationship with the natural parent and ask God to help you be content single. 
you know, until the children are not the center, you know, of your focus anymore. They don't need as much of your time and that kind of stuff. Just a thought. I'm not saying that's what God said or anything. But if you think about the season where dating is appropriate, it is before you are a parent, you know. So you're going to have to squeeze to get all that worked in, you know. Some people, you know, it's like if you put a put your hair in a ponytail and throw a wig on to get the kids to school and that's the best you can do. You don't want to be, 8 o'clock at night comes, you don't want somebody to date. Are you kidding me? I got to get up and go to work in the morning. So that kind of stuff is, is kind of out of place because there's not time for it. Now, it God can make exceptions for people. You know, if you're the type of person who can pray and ask, get a vision for somebody and you see them, y'all go jump the broom and that's all you need. And they can get along with you, you get along with them, the kids get along. and There's some work. And most believers are not up to that level of work, trust me. That's why God gives you such peace as a single person oftentimes when you're married to him. Because, you know, sometimes you think, I can't believe I ever was married. I'm so content. You you understand what I'm saying? I mean, even though you might have a living spouse and believing for reconciliation, you can have great contentment away from that person simply because God fills that empty place. Or you've got to believe God to fill emptiness before you can really connect with somebody in a real way you know it's just it's hard to to, you know you gotta live with somebody and they look to you for everything you know it's like man (laughs) get saved get a life or get both you know but but you know it's there is a place of contentment in god where it doesn't matter what state you're in other than that he fills that up he likes single people who are bored anyway he give you plenty stuff to do you know saying Married ones too, you know, he loves to fill up your time. So so a God will, will, will have an appropriateness that comes into your life. It's not appropriate sometimes. And then sometimes when, when women, when their children are adults and maybe in college and something, they'll think about it. They say, you know what, I'm still doing pretty good single. You know, all them years when I was young, I thought I wanted to be married, blah, blah, blah. You know, and sometimes that's when God will find you somebody, when you're totally unconcerned about it and totally content. So so God will, will we can hasten times and seasons. Some seasons will recur during our lifetime. We said that. For example, you may enter a time of soul winning that is intense. It seems like every time you talk to somebody, you're praying with somebody leading them to the Lord. And then that will wane. You know, you'll think, whatever happened to that? And it picks up again. You see what I'm saying? So God is alerting you, you know, in, in that season where it's kind of dormant. He's stirring you up to get that season going again. We may have seasons of fasting and a prayer. Sometimes of continual giving. And all of these have a distinct purpose. There's a reason for why you're doing these things. In the main seasons change because the purpose is fulfilled. So you move on to something else after that purpose is accomplished. People come here and they'll they'll live on the edge of the seat for a minute and say, Well, God's told me I'm, I've learned everything here. I say, You couldn't possibly. Because I haven't taught everything there is to know about it. Because I haven't learned it all yet. 
Yeah, it was just for a season. I said, well, you sure that season is over? You know, what did you learn? You know, how to, because this really is a life call. You know, most people who are here will tell you they've been here forever and they're not going anywhere because they're called to be watchmen, you know. <clears throat> and so that well, it was just for a season. Well, how do you know that season's over? Did you accomplish the purpose of that season? And most people can't even tell you why they're here. They're just here looking at the ceiling or the floor, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you lock into your purpose when you're in a place, <clears throat> then the season will last as long as God wants it to last. In Acts 1-7, we're admonished that no man knows the times or seasons that God has placed in his hands. So he may not tell you what you're here for. Just tell you, just go along and do what you're told to do. You know, what comes to you to do. People were looking at <clears throat> Jesus ascending, or before he ascended, I'm sorry. And they were asking when he was going to come and restore the kingdom again. They knew he was going to leave and go back to heaven. He says, not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But the reveal things you will know. You'll know what you're called to do. You'll know who's going to train you. You'll know when you're going to get in your ministry. You'll know what to do in your ministry. You'll know you can be empowered. That's enough. You got me? You don't need to know when he's coming back. Because you might take a nap till he does. So <laughs> you know how people are. They ask him for a reason. So God has the master plan and we must work in the season with our faith and not base our obedience on what we think will happen or when he will come back or anything like that. We know that faith is not conscious of time. God's spirit knows the time. He'll alert us if time is running out because he changes times and seasons. The other time we need to be cognizant of is time of our visitation. There is a time where God will show up with whatever it is that we're asking for or we're believing him for. And Luke 19. Forty-four, he says, and shall lay thee even with the ground and your children within thee, and they shall not leave leave in you a st- one stone upon another, because you know not the time of your visitation. So he was speaking of the curse that would fall upon the temple at Jerusalem and on the Jewish nation, because they were not aware of the time of their visitation, and that is the time when the Lord was coming. To reveal himself to all of humanity. There are many people who talk about revival. You know like I said before. But they think worship goes on too long. And they're in a good place to miss the time of their visitation. Because if that's always what characterizes revival. You know you're not, you're not teaching people for two hours twice a week. Just to get the word in them. You're preparing people for the coming of the Lord. You're preparing people for the things you see that 
that you believe God is going to do so you're getting a people prepared for the day of their visitation. And to me, if we're so aware that people don't have much time and we got to pack all of this into a certain amount of chronological time, how on earth are we going to let them get them, their spirits ready in anticipation for the Lord? You know, I mean, how long did it take Esther to get, you know, perfumed and groomed and prepared to meet the king? It took her 12 months of constant you know, you know, plucking chin hairs and waxing eyebrows and putting perfume on and teaching her how to walk and, you know, how not to go rushing up to the throne. Baby, let me tell you what I want. You won't believe the day I had today. Take her out of here. You got me? She gone. It's like the one who was before her. Get out of here. Huh? Sure. There's preparation in anticipation of something. We are not just the church that's meeting twice a week to, so that you can be fed and, and you can do whatever. You know, just keep getting fed and fed and fed. We are preparing ourselves, if we believe the Bible, for the return of the Lord. So if you're getting fed, you're getting fed to go out and feed somebody else. You're getting fed so that you can you come in here to worship, so that you can open your heart to hear from God, so that when God comes, you won't be missing him by rushing out of the door because you've been trained to only stay in the presence of God for so long and then go out and have a cigarette or whatever else you want to do. You know, just holding on until we can get back to the world. Like that's our home. This is supposed to be our home, not out there. See, not back to what you left you know, when you were panting to get in here because the world beat you up so bad, now you're dying to get out of here to go back out there for nothing. And so we have to understand the purpose even of our meetings and gatherings together. The early church never stopped worshiping God. People want to know, well, it's going to be the latter and the former reign together. You'd never be able to stand it. You go buy an umbrella. To shield yourself from it. Because, you know, you talk about rain, that means presence of God on a continual basis. How are you going to handle that? If you're looking at your watch and got the kids already promised to go to McDonald's so they keep begging you so you can get out of church in time and all this kind of stuff, why would you set yourself up for nonsense like that? So we say we're the bride. We say we're being adorned. We say we're waiting for our, you know, they get all these flowery, you know, songs and stuff and, and don't want to worship God for more than a, a half an hour. Yeah, what do you think that's going to do? Half an hour don't even change the temperature in the room. Hmm? How's it going to change you into somebody who's anticipating the coming of the Lord? When he comes, he comes to stay. He comes to rule and reign. And you know, we want to go tie one on. Listen, we go to heaven, it won't be a world to go back to. Worship is continual 24-7. So that's all you do is worship God and listen to Jesus preach. So if we can't stand that more than two hours twice a week, we're a pitiful little bunch. We're a sad little bunch. And we're anxious to terminate that so we can get up and go talk about our problems to our neighbor again. Uh, before the service is over good you know we need to have a cool down time where you just sit and meditate and play music before you get back to your worldly conversation 
Huh? Talking about nonsense. And so we folks have got a little something to learn, you know, about why we're here on this earth. Why are we learning the ways of God? Oh, we fit into heaven. You won't make it. Huh? Won't make it. We're just barely. You know, because we can barely divorce ourselves from the nonsense that goes on in the world. But I'm telling you, as as this this era draws to a close, this time that we're in, this season that we're in in God, God's going to weed out some people that just won't carry it through. Because there are too many preachers who are intimidated by what's out there. We don't want to go too long because, hmm, what's too long? We're not on time here. We're in God's time. People don't want to stay. They can leave. You know, we're freedom here. Nobody going to shackle the door and tie you down. People close doors. They lock doors for the offering. So you won't get out there then. But after that, they open them back up again. After the giving's over, y'all can go home if you want to. You got me? (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. But understanding what we're here for. Our purpose is is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That takes time with him. takes devotion to him. And that takes understanding what we're here for. So if you'll stay with that, folks. And I'll tell you, the other reason the church doesn't witness very much, we don't grow very much, is our lack of time in the presence of the Lord. You'll find people who spend the time in prayer, praying for lost souls. When they meet people, they've got prayers that they pray for them, and they ask God for opportunity to witness to them. Those people are busy witnessing all the time. It's the majority of church that's not doing it because we're not taught to do it. It's okay not to, not to win souls. It's okay. You know, it's not mandatory we win souls. But I don't see that that way in the Bible. I see that as a command of God. What else are you here for if not to bring more into the Father's house? He loves them like he loves us, folks. He wants them in too. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, for understanding for understanding how much you love us, your great love for us, the meaning and the depth that there is to this covenant that we have with you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding of this great covenant of mercy and of love. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on.